You know, if uh, God's word is not 100% true, if Christ is not the Son of God, there's no sense wasting our few years here on earth in church and uh, maybe serving other people. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, If there is no resurrection, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And like I tell our young people at the Little Snowbird Baptist Church, we work with the Cherokee Indians there in North Carolina. It's much more fun to be fishing than sitting in church sometimes, listening to fairy tales that really have no basis in fact. But of course now, uh, if Christ is who he says he is, what we, that little drama that we had this morning is very, very significant because uh, if Christ is the creator of the universe who came to earth almost 2,000 years ago, he has the right to our lives. He has the right to our obedience. I'd like us to look in John chapter 1 and just look at a few verses there first and we'll be traveling through different passages of scripture here. But John 1, the first uh, three verses... In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now we see here the Word is the Creator. And then, of course, you turn to verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then if you'll just look down just a couple more verses... In verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now right back there at creation, we have a verse in Genesis 3, uh, verse 15, when uh, Adam and Eve had just uh, disobeyed the Lord. And we have the Lord talking to the serpent and indicating here, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And then we look down in Galatians chapter 4, and we see the coming of the seed. We look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And we see here, but when the fullness of time came... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Can't you imagine if Christ had come just after that little episode in the garden? And Adam had said, Lord, so what's the big deal? I saw that fruit. My wife was tempted. She ate of it and she gave it to me and I didn't want to really lose her. So uh, I'll just go ahead and have a little of that fruit. So what's the big deal? So we see now the history that we see in the Old Testament right down here to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see what man has done without God. Now we see his choosing of Abraham and calling him out so that he would reveal himself to us in the descendants of Abraham. And we see in Genesis 12, uh, the first uh, three verses there, where God told Abraham that in him would all the nations of the earth be blessed. And of course we go back again to Galatians chapter 3 and it says in here, the scripture foreseeing in verse 8 that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand Abraham saying all the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. But can't you imagine 
uh, man just saying, well, that was not a big thing. Why did Christ have to die? But you see, the history of man is failure, disaster, child abuse, uh, broken marriages. You just look down through the Old Testament. You see what has happened. You see the Babylonian captivity. The reason for the Babylonian captivity, the total breakdown of that covenant that was ratified by uh, God's people there at Mount Sinai. And God promised, since that was a conditional covenant, if you do not obey my ways, you will be sent into other countries and sent into exile. And we have, at that time, during that time, the preparation for that time, the, the major prophets were given, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And right at that time of disaster for the nation, God gave his promise of the new covenant. And we see there uh, that the Lord would take the stony hearts out and give a heart of flesh. He would put his spirit within his people. And of course, in Hebrews 9.15, we see that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And we do have this new relationship with the Lord. And we saw that in Galatians 4, where uh, when Christ came, uh, he came that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So we have a new relationship. We are children of God. We have the Spirit of God in our hearts. We have the motivation to serve him because we want to serve him. You know, a wife uh, in a family does the laundry, does the cooking, does all sorts of things. That if you, she was not a wife, you might call her a slave. A husband does some of the same sort of things. You see, the motivation from the heart of love changes the whole relationship. In a family relationship, there is that love bond between husband and wife. And we all do things that in a slave relationship you would do if there was a whip on your back. But here you do it because you love the other one. And that's the motivation for us in serving the Lord. We love the Lord. He's given us of his spirit. He indwells us. He motivates us. And we do what we should do because we love the Lord and we want to do it. You know, you don't force a slave to do things that someone, uh, a free man, would do. Back in Colossians uh, verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 16, we see something else that the Lord Jesus Christ does. Um, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. You see that follows through with, with John 1. Uh, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Christ is the sustainer of the universe. You see how he is the sustainer as well as the creator. Um, in John chapter 8, verses 56 through 58, we have the place where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, claimed that before Abraham was, I am. So we see in Christmas, not the, not the beginning of the, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see God, the second person of the Godhead, coming to earth as a man to let us know about God. See, it says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now we see in Micah, um, it talks about uh, um, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into Bethlehem. And it says his coming was from eternity. His going was from, from eternity. He always has been, but he came to earth as a man. Um, you know, when we first bought our land at Mission Ready, we bought uh, 1,100 acres from a real estate fellow whose wife was a Christian, and uh, he really didn't like Christians very well. And you'll find a lot of people don't basically, in their hearts, they don't really think a whole lot about Christians. 
Christians are basically kind of stupid, not very intellectual. Uh, their brains don't really work too well. And uh, Tom felt that way. His wife had become a Christian, and she had dragged uh, him to church every chance she got. She took the kids to church. Finally, he said, I've had enough of this church. I don't even want my kids going to church. So she looked in, in Scripture and realized the Lord said, Hey, it's not up to you to badger the, your husband, but show your faith by your submissive attitude as a wife. And then she just prayed and was a good wife to her husband. And then we came along and bought uh, Mission Ready. He thought, here's a bunch of kooks. Maybe they're going to be uh, setting up some new cult up there in the mountain or something. But if there's money in it, we'll go ahead and sell them the land. But after we'd been there for a few months, Tom said, you know, I don't know anything about Christians, but I'd like to know something about it. So he asked for a Bible study. And we let him push it until finally we had a Bible study and went through the book of John. And he saw the claims of Christ, who he says he is. And you remember the story of the woman of Samaria, how he said he is the Messiah. He is the one. He that was speaking to the woman is the one who she was expecting. And Tom uh, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And now he has a Christian family. But he had to answer that question that every human being has to answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You know, in our work in the, in, uh, the northern frontier district of Kenya, we work a lot with uh, Somali people. Most of them are Muslims. And we talk a lot about what they believe and what we believe. And there is really, you come right down to the ethics and so on of, of our faith, very similar. But you come right down to who is the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe he's coming, going to reign for a thousand years. But who is he? You see, when you say the Son of God, they think that God had relations with a woman and, and here came a baby. But when you explain that God came to earth as man in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem us, then it's a, a different thing. But that choice, everybody has to make in his life. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, when we look at 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, I mean, it says there is one God, there is one God, even though there are a lot of gods on the earth, and uh, there are many idols, and, you know, when we work as missionaries, you meet people that have all sorts of gods. They worship uh, under the trees. They worship uh, spirits and so on. But there is but one God the Father from whom are all things. And we exist for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ by whom all things are. And we exist through him. You know, when I was in Nigeria a couple of years ago, I met a Jewish couple and was talking to them about the prophecies for the Jewish nation. And the guy says, I think you're pretty religious. And I said, no, I don't think I'm very religious. I said, I'm looking for reality. What is reality? I'm looking for the reason why I'm here on the earth. And I really believe totally that I found reality. And God's word is true. And the person of Jesus Christ is the creator. He's the savior. And he's king. And he has the right as king to direct our lives. And I think that that's really what we have to understand, the reality of who Jesus Christ really is. Uh, Acts 1.8, that section there has been used for missionary uh, commitment and missionary preaching and so on, but I'd like us to read it again. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And that goes back to the witness where we are right here in, in uh, our neighborhood, the farther parts of our country, 
and throughout the world. And there's one thing we, we recognize in our training of missionaries. If a person is not a witness in his hometown, is not, a, is not active in his home church, does not have the understanding of God's word for himself, there's no sense in going another part of the world to start witnessing because you never will. Now, what is the motivation for being a missionary? You know, there's, uh, when we were in Africa, we had uh, a famine camp in, in the Turkana tribe. We ran it for uh, over two years. We had 600 people in the camp. People had a gospel message every morning while we passed out the corn and milk. We never had one adult come to know the Lord in two years. After that, we started a, a fishing project. It was uh, about 150 miles north of us on Lake Rudolph, of Lake Turkana, a large lake in uh, northern Kenya. And after a period of, of a little bit of time, as people started supporting themselves, uh, then the, the preaching of God's Word started to take root. And now there's a strong church up there. People are, have uh, set up their own industries, started their own schools and everything else. And we see when the Lord says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Um, we see that uh, the object of, of a Christian uh, is to earn his own living and make enough to help those who cannot help themselves. That applies to everybody. And if you're out there for humanitarian reasons, passing out food and doing all these things that you feel good about, you have to realize that it's not the Lord's way in the long term. We all, all of us have a responsibility. Um, I met a priest who was uh, helping people who were in, having famine in, in a place called Baragoy. It's a semi-desert country and, and they'd had a lot of uh, drought. And he was very upset. He'd been serving these people for about five or six years. There was no gratitude. And you know, that's something that we like, but there, that's also a Christian virtue. Gratitude is a Christian virtue. And uh, he's, uh, he said, how can I carry on? I said, you have to realize you, aren't, you don't do it for people. You don't do it for humanitarian reasons. You know, men, man in their nature is corrupt. And it's evident in our own country. It's evident all over the world. Man is not any different anywhere. They're the same all over the world. Um, another thing we can have is have a Messiah complex. You guys, you lucky guys, here I am. I'm coming to help you. And you need to hear all these things I have to say to you. And because I have the truth, you listen to me. But you know, that doesn't work very long either. You realize that uh, you aren't the Messiah. And people don't, really don't appreciate the Messiah. Another reason to be a missionary is a guilt complex. I have so much. Everybody else has so little. But that's no reason to serve the Lord. Because after a while you realize that man is corrupt. And the people that you've gone to help are really not worth helping. You know, it has to be doing it for the Lord in obedience. And we look in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We see there in Matthew chapter 28 that Christ says, All authority is given unto me, both in heaven and earth. Then he gives the great commission to us. And it has to do with a, a long-term commitment. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, we serve the Lord, and when things are tough, if we know why we're there serving the Lord, we can have joy in rough situations. You know, back uh, when Dan was quite a bit younger, um, my wife and I and uh, my oldest son, who's the same age as uh, Russ, 
uh, Dan and uh, another couple took uh, three trucks, four-wheel drive Mercedes trucks across the Sahara with the loads of supplies from Europe down to northern Kenya. And it was really kind of a rough trip. We had a lot of trouble in Egypt with uh, officials. We got into the, the sand dunes and we bogged in. We got into the mud of the side of southern Sudan and we bellied deep in mud. In fact, it was so muddy that my wife said, I'll never be afraid of mud again. We'd go 100 yards, maybe in a day if that, and we were digging the mud out from under the truck with knives and everything. And if you were doing that for somebody, you were grunting it through for somebody, you'd tell somebody to come get his trucks and you'd hike out of there. Um, most of our missionary activity, most of my life, we've had terrorists around us. When I was a kid growing up, we had the Mau Mau Rebellion in Kenya. And our mission station was uh, about 30 miles from Nairobi. And a lot of our Christian workers brought their families onto this mission station for protection. And uh, I, I remember one pastor at uh, a town not too far away. Uh, the bandits came in and they told him to renounce Christ. And they sawed his throat with a dull machete and eventually killed him. But he gave his testimony to them about Christ had done so much for him. And he knew the reality of who Christ was. And that kind of experience and those the times with our African pastors and evangelists when I was growing up really strengthened my faith and helped me realize that Christ is who he says he is. And God's grace is sufficient. You know, when we started Mission Ready, we were going about a year and a half or so, and we had a sawmill. This sawmill was supposed to cut logs, and uh, we had gathered together a bunch of hickory logs, and we're getting ready to start the mill to fix a bridge that was kind of getting rotten. And we had an old man from uh, Battle Creek Bible Church in Michigan. And he wanted to see how the mill worked. So after work, I went down with him to show him how the mill worked. But uh, there was a malfunction in the mill, and I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the mill came back, the uh, saw came back, and it cut across my leg, just about severed my right leg. It cut my hand, and I thought that was it. There was blood and gore all over the place. And uh, I said, Lord, if this is it, okay. But if there's a choice, I still have a young boy that hasn't grown up yet. And you know, the Lord gave a real peace and a real grace. And it really was nothing. It was harder for my wife, who had to haul me out an hour to a clinic and then a couple more hours to the hospital where they operated on me and got me sewed back together. And the Lord used that in my life to, to show his grace and you realize that his promises, when the time comes, when you're going to need grace, you face death. When you face other uh, difficulties, you don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about what you might have to go through because God's grace is sufficient. And he doesn't give you the grace ahead of time. He gives you the grace when you need it. So what I'm trying to say is, realize who you're serving. Realize that Christ, the Christ of Christmas, is the one who's the creator as well. He gives us meaning for life. Psalm 90 says, uh, teach us to number our days. And let's take a look at that. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but look at verse 12 especially. You might want to read it some other time because it's a good psalm. It talks about working, being involved with uh, things in our lives, and we see the last verse as well, God confirming the work of our hands. So Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. Job chapter 28 talks about wisdom. There's a story how man goes everywhere throughout the earth finding things of value. But where does he find wisdom? 
and it says the fear of the Lord is wisdom and to stay away from evil is understanding now if we want to serve the Lord we need to keep ourselves clean and you know there's not nothing else in the world that's worth your life but serving the Lord and the, the, some of that skit was coming from uh, Matthew chapter 6 you might turn to that and uh, just put that down as part of the, the lesson for today there in Matthew chapter 6 it says in, Master, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or will hold to one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money or mammon so we have to make a choice uh, it also says where our treasure is there will our heart be there's nothing in the world that's worth your life there's no motivation for, for uh, uh, any philosophy that's worth your life except to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, uh, in Luke uh, chapter 14, the Lord says, uh, you can't be my disciple unless you give up everything. And so what does that do about tithing? Well, tithing is fine, but you have to realize everything you own belongs to the Lord. Everything. What are you going to do with your life? You're young. You have to realize you're not going to live too long. You've got a certain amount of time. What you do in life has eternal significance. Uh, you need to serve someone who is worth serving. 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 23. Talks about keeping yourself clean. And it, it has a story about uh, in a house there are vessels for honor and there are vessels for dishonor. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthware, some to honor, some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. You know, I like to think of Daniel when he was a, a young guy, just a teenager, taken into captivity. And it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a king's meat. And that's the kind of commitment that we need as young people. We need it as old people too. We have to decide inside of our hearts, in our inner being, I am not going to defile myself. I'm going to keep myself clean. I'm going to use my life for the Lord. The only way, the only person that is worth serving with our lives. And let's remember that as we spend our time studying God's word. You know, discipling really is communicating integrity. You know, we were talking about that last night with Bob. You know, the Lord says, make disciples. That means communicating integrity. On the basis, and what is integrity? The basis of it is God's revelation to us in his word. God has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ. We read that in Hebrews 1. A long time ago, God spoke in a lot of different ways through the prophets and so on, but now he's spoken to us through his son by whom he made all things. So as we live our lives, let's make, let's realize that it's important how we live. Um, you know, there's the moral goat that's tied up with a rope, but that's not the way we want to be. We want to have that heart desire to serve the Lord. We want to have that commitment to the Lord to serve him with all our hearts. And our motive, motive is, a, is a heart of gratitude to the Lord and a life of obedience to him. Thank you very much.